You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we go through the books of the Bible in a three-step process. We read, we think, and we apply the biblical text to our lives. And today, we are doing our first minor prophet, and we are doing the book of Habakkuk. And it's an interesting book. It's a book I think not a whole lot of people necessarily, when they go to start their reading plans in January, pick up. You know, say, I really want to do Habakkuk this yeah. time. Well, you know, a lot of these minor prophet books kind of get put into obscurity because they're not, you know, for Christians, they're not New Testament, and then they're not like um, history because we do a lot of the history, First Kings, Chronicles, Samuel, that sort of thing. So these minor prophets kind of get pushed to the side. Uh, but Habakkuk is actually a very significant book for the New Testament Christian. We'll talk a little bit about that more. Um, in the second section when we think about the text. But what we want to do first is just kind of run through it to where if you've never read the book before, don't feel guilty if you haven't. Uh, But if you've never read it before, we're just going to kind of give you a summary and fly through it real quick. Now, the key word to this book is faith. By the way, all these little points I have are from a, a just absolutely wonderful class I sat in on this exact book that was taught by... um some kind of middle-of-the-road preacher. I can't remember who it was that taught it. Um, but it was actually Drew Kaiser who was here wow. with us. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Thanks for that backhanded compliment. I appreciate <laughs> that a yeah. lot. Lots of people yeah. are laughing right now listening to this. We sure. need like a laughter backtrack. That know, would yeah, that would actually in. be a really interesting thing to visit for the podcast. Uh, yeah. Kind of like a television sitcom, just press the button when we feel like we have been funny to let the audience know that we have said something funny and they can now laugh. We need to bring that in or just do it in front of a live audience. People laugh like friends. I don't know if that would ever work. Yeah, probably not. Uh, Maybe we we could get our wives there. Yeah, well, maybe. Okay, so back to the Bible here. Uh, The key word is faith. And the key verse is chapter 2 and verse 4, which is a verse that's probably going to be familiar to you. Um, And this is where it comes into the New Testament. Paul quotes it several times, or a couple times. And uh, it's the verse that says, The righteous shall live by faith. And the whole verse is, His soul is puffed up, but the righteous shall live by faith. And we'll see why uh, he says, he's talking about somebody being puffed up later. Um, But what's going on here? God is going to judge Judah with the Babylonians, or the Chaldeans, as they're called here. So pretty much an unrighteous nation is about to be punished by an even less righteous nation. So Judah's not doing it right, but the Babylonians definitely aren't. And they're going to come in and punish them. It's a, it is in the format of complaint and answer, kind of like a prayer. This is really a conversation between God and Habakkuk for these short three chapters that we have, and it breaks down like this. Um, And I might say, you know, Habakkuk is the one complaining. Oh, yeah. And God is the one answering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the first exchange happens in chapter 1, verses 2 through 11, uh, where Habakkuk complains and God answers. And the idea, if you read there in verses 2 to 4, you can see Habakkuk's idea is, why do you stand by idly? This is wrong. And then God will come back in verses 4 through 11 and say, Whether or not you can accept it, this is true. I'm raising up a bitter and hasty nation to destroy my own people. And so here's this idea of a righteous nation being punished by a nation that is even less righteous than the one that is getting in trouble in the first place. And then you can see the second exchange take place starting in verse 12, and it goes through chapter 2 and verse 5, where Habakkuk kind of uses this argument of saying, you are too pure to see a thing like this, the wicked swallowing up those who are more righteous. Let's wait and see what you have to say to that. And this is some really bold talk that you see coming from Habakkuk. And, of course, we're paraphrasing to get through the text faster. But that's the effect. That's what it sounds like when you read it. Maybe we should read it for our listeners driving down the road. Maybe they don't have their Bibles open. But 
um, you know, he gets he gets down to chapter two, verse one, and Habakkuk has made his argument, and then he says, "I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint." So I'm going to stand here and and. To me, that's him saying, let's see what you've got to say about that. Mm-hmm. You know, if he were a contemporary with us, that's probably the way he worded it. Back then he talked about watch posts and stationing himself in a tower. Mm-hmm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here and let's see you answer that question. It's yeah. got a touch of Job to it. You know, mm-hmm. Job uh, said similar things in his frustration. Yeah, I'm sure we'll return back to that attitude behind that, you know, in other parts of the the podcast today. Mm-hmm. And so Habakkuk makes this claim, you know, he says, you are too pure to see a thing like that. That starts in verse 13. He says, um, you are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. And then he makes that statement, I'm going to wait and see what God says. And God comes back and in chapter 2, verses 2 to 5, um, in summation, he says, the wicked will not last. He says, evil is self-destructive. And then verse 4, this is where this verse comes into play that Paul is later going to use. Um, verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. And then in verse 5, he says, moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man, who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all people. So he kind of, he lets Habakkuk know that wickedness won't last. He's not exalting a wicked nation here, but that uh, the evil that they participate in is self-destructive. But those who are going to avoid that will be the righteous people, the ones who live by faith. And the point here is uh, the Chaldeans aren't righteous, no, but right now neither is Judah. Mm-hmm. And so this is why, of course, they are going to be punished. But life is not going to be good for the Babylonians either. And if you start there in verse 6, if you have headings in your Bible, you see it says, Woe to the Chaldeans. These are the Babylonians. So there are five woe oracles here. In chapter 2, verses 6 to 20, that are against the Babylonians. The Babylonians are going to come in and do this, but this is what's going to happen to them after they do it. Um, and you can look in verses 6 through 8, and it says, The plunderer will be plundered. In verses 9 through 11, the conqueror will be shamed. Verses 12 through 14, the builder will be undone. Verses 15 to 18, the shameless will be shamed. And verses 19 to 20, the idolater will be silenced. And so there's a lot of, I guess a lot of uh, bad things coming, is just a simple way to put Mm -hmm. it. Bad things coming to the Babylonians, to the Chaldeans, um, because they're unrighteous as well. They're not getting off scot-free here. They're going to take over Judah. Judah's going to get its punishment God is raising up this nation to do this, but then this nation that's unrighteous is also going to receive their punishment in due time. So he's not letting the wicked go free. He's not letting the wicked reign in their wickedness. And ultimately what's going to happen is, in spite of Habakkuk's doubt, in spite of Habakkuk's questioning, he is going to trust God. And he is going to walk by faith. He's going to live by faith. And he's going to submit to God's will. And we can read verses 17 through 19, uh, the final three verses of the book, chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And I remember in the class, Drew, which really was a good class. Uh, I was joking earlier, but it really was a good class. You said something here about the fig tree. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I've just uh, been noticing this imagery over the last few months. I, I even did a, a sermon on this a few months ago called Fig and Vine. Because throughout the Old Testament in particular, you see this imagery of fig trees and grapevines. And what that symbolizes is stability and the best part of the settled life. And I think the first time that you see it is in 1 Kings chapter 4, around verse 25, describing Solomon's kingdom, where every man sits under his own fig tree and under his own vine. Uh, it took a long time to cultivate a fig tree uh, or a grapevine. You know, I, there's some folks around here with fig trees that told me, you know, I planted one this year, I'm not expecting to get any fruit. Not going to expect to get anything next year, maybe year three, and then um, you know on down the road uh, they will they will really start producing fruit. Had a had another strange cultivation tip on fig trees from somebody else who told me that one year a dog died in the middle of her fig tree, and that year she had the best figs ever. But I digress. The that's, dog died in the tree? Yeah. Like he was So I guess that's tree. some natural fertilizer, but that's not at all what this is about. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in. That's one of my favorite little stories <laughs> yeah, that's there. that's good. Uh, but it took a long time to grow these fig trees and grapevines. And so if there was one standing, one blossoming, bearing fruit, that means that people have been living in prosperity and peace for some time. And Habakkuk's getting ready for a period of time where fig trees are not blossoming and there's not going to be any fruit on the vines because there's not going to be a life of agriculture. It's going to be life of war, life of slavery probably, uh, oppression, concentration camps, you know, people just trying to scrounge up whatever little piece of bread they can get to feed their children it's not going to be a good life for a while. Mm -hmm. And it's very dark what he says, what he begins with. You know, the first word of verse 17 is though. Though this life is going to get very bad for me and for my people, I will trust in the Lord. Mm -hmm. Not only that, I will rejoice in the Lord. Yeah. And uh, that's an amazing statement of on faith that... We're going to have a lot of applications to and a lot to discuss in the next couple of sections. I don't want to sound like a broken record in these podcasts. We've been doing a lot of Old Testament stuff, particularly captivity and restoration stuff. We just finished our series on Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And so I feel like we talk about this a lot, but it may be the case that somebody just pulled down Habakkuk and is listening to our episode on Habakkuk without having the historical background from those other episodes. So we need to talk a little bit about the identity of the enemies mm -hmm. uh, that God is actually using to destroy his people in the book of Habakkuk. They are identified here. This is a bit unusual when compared with the historical books of the Old Testament. They're called the Chaldeans. Um, uh, you know, verse references, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, God says, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. Uh, so who are these people? And you identified them as the Babylonians, correctly mm -hmm. so. Uh, just for a really quick uh, background on them, the, uh, the world at this time was basically governed by empires. Mm -hmm. One empire would raise up, destroy everybody, subjugate everybody, and they would pay tribute to them. And then another empire would come up and take its place. So Assyria was one of those empires, and in 722 B.C., Assyria destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, the ten tribes of Israel were taken into captivity. 
and this is known as the lost ten tribes of Israel, they never made it back. Nobody really knows what became of them, except if you want to think about the Samaritan race, possibly are descendants from them. And you read about the Samaritans in the New Testament. But the Assyrians were conquered by a strengthened Babylonian empire in uh, the 6th century B.C., I think it was, and 7th century and 6th century. And Babylon, as Babylon or the Chaldeans became stronger and stronger and stronger, they began taking out all these little kingdoms that had been dominated by Assyria, which includes Judah. Now, uh, many of the prophets had seen this coming. We could tie this in to a better-known minor prophet, the book of Jonah. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, I, I shouldn't have said that. Jonah was concerned about Assyria, so that'll just confuse matters. We'll get to that some other time, but okay. a lot of a lot of prophets had been talking about how Babylon was going to destroy mm-hmm. um, Judah. Uh, Isaiah was one of those. Yeah, Jeremiah was doing it right up till the time of the destruction. Jeremiah lived through the destruction, survived it. Um, so Babylon is this nation. The king of Babylon who led this destruction was a man named Nebuchadnezzar. And you read a lot about Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, particularly chapters 1 through 4. And a lot of strange things happened there. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was the one that built the big golden statue, demanded that everybody bow down and worship it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. Mm -hmm. They were thrown into the fiery furnace and survived, that was Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the guy who had the dream that Daniel interpreted, um, a dream of, a, a again, a golden image, and all these images represented different empires of the world. And uh, he also had another dream that basically predicted his insanity mm-hmm. in Daniel chapter 4, and he goes insane for a period of time. Um, and this was punishment for his pride. So Babylon was, for a time, a very powerful, destructive nation. Like the Assyrians, they were violent. They would go in, and their means of conquering a people was to just completely devastate them. They would destroy, you know, if they had a temple that was important to them, they would destroy it. So the temple in Jerusalem built by Solomon, completely destroyed. And they would bring the walls down and take captive the people who were conquered. There was a 70-year captivity that resulted in the Babylonian conquest of Judah. Now, I'm talking about things that happened after Habakkuk, but Mm -hmm. he saw this coming, and this is what troubled him and caused him to question God. And so maybe knowing how terrible those things would be, I mean, just picture yourself living in Judah and hearing that your house was going to be demolished, maybe your children were going to die, and you were going to be taken into captivity and remain a slave the rest of your life, you're not going to be too happy about that. And so that's why uh, Habakkuk is saying things like you read in um, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. His prayer is, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? So what he saw in the Babylonians or the Chaldeans was iniquity, was wrong, was violence, and he was right. All of that was true, except God was using them, the Chaldeans, as judgment upon his own people. Um, Do we need to talk about that concept a little bit? A theodicy? You know, there's a in, in theology, we talk about theodicies, which are mm-hmm. justifications of God's behavior. Yeah. And you hear that most with the book of Job. You know, Job, he suffered so much. Is that fair? How do you find, you know, how does God... And, and God doesn't really explain himself in most of these cases. Mm-hmm. You know, the only explanation God has ever given is a justification for forgiving us 
yeah. in Jesus Christ. You might find that in Romans three twenty three through twenty six, yeah. where he's presented as just and the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. Mm-hmm. But you don't see God trying to explain his behavior when he stands out of the way and allows, in Job's case, the devil, or in this case, the Chaldeans, to destroy his people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because of a doctrine that makes us all uncomfortable, but the idea that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't... I think- if they had been, if they had been righteous and been walking by, you know, if they had been living by faith the way they were supposed to, you know, as I say, the righteous will live by faith. There wouldn't be a, you know, there wouldn't be a nation coming to destroy them. They wouldn't have been divided in the first place if they had been, you know, there wouldn't be a Judah and an Israel in the first place if there had, if there had been righteousness across the nation because you never would have had Solomon. Um, have all those different wives and everything and go after, turn his heart away from God, then the kingdom would have never been divided in the first place. So I think, yeah, you can kind of see how these people get in such a bad situation. And it was a lengthy decline. I mean, yeah. it wasn't Habakkuk's generation that was the first one mm-hmm. to go south. They had been playing with idolatry and... Uh, you know, the kings of Judah and the yeah. kings of Israel even committed human sacrifice. Yeah, because right which now... Which is unthinkable, but... Yeah, right now with Habakkuk, you've got Josiah as king, who is, you know, just a finally kind of the idea, you know, we got a, we got a, a good king. And, you know, Josiah is doing a lot of work to try and make the people righteous at the time. Um, but, you know, I've got here in the notes from your class, you know, he had these prophets like Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, and Nahum with him. You know, they were around when Josiah was king. That probably helped him out a lot. Josiah did a lot of great things, but still, apparently, the people can't get it right. You know, the people as yeah, a whole. Yeah, it was Josiah's father and grandfather who had been committing human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And, and I just say that to kind of give an umbrella over everything else. Yeah. I mean, if if they're capable of that, then, yeah, there was sexual immorality. There mm. was um, social injustice. There was yeah. all kinds of other stuff. I mean, if they're capable of killing their own children to a false god, then they're capable yeah. of anything. And, and I'm glad you brought up Josiah. There was a little glimmer in this one leader... And the prophets who were around him. By the way, the reason there were more prophets around him than the others is because the others would kill the prophets. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Tradition says that Manasseh sawed Isaiah the prophet in half. Mm-hmm. And you, you have that little reference in um, Hebrews chapter 11 where some people of faith were sawn in half. Mm-hmm. And tradition has it that it was Josiah's grandfather... Manasseh who did that. So you you have this little glimmer of hope and yeah, you have a cluster of prophets around Josiah because he didn't kill prophets. But then after him, his son uh, I may be getting the kings mixed up, but his I'm not even going to try to give his son's name. Um, I want to say Ammon, and now I'm thinking that Ammon was Manasseh's son and Ahaz was Manasseh's father. I don't I don't know anymore. Um, but um, I'm no help. There's so many of them. There were a lot of bad guys before Josiah, and a lot of bad guys after Josiah. Mm-hmm. And and Habakkuk lived during that little glimmer of hope. But God knew that there was no use in trying. That His people needed this cleansing, needed this punishment, so that He could bring a remnant back to rebuild Jerusalem, bring the Messiah into the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, any more we want to say on that? I want to get to something else. and We may be beating a dead horse here, as yeah. they say. Um, let's talk about the theme of this book, and it's a very popular verse in the New Testament, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, The righteous shall live by faith. 
this is the theme of the book of Romans. And it's quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. It's also found in the book of Galatians. Um, so it, it's an important statement of faith. But there are two ways to interpret it, right? So the first yeah. way you could look at it, the righteous shall live by faith. What does that mean? Um, it could mean the righteous will survive by faith. And when mm-hmm. Christians talk about being justified by faith, that's what they mean. Um, I can be saved from my sins through a system of obedient faith mm-hmm. to God. And so that's one way. But there's also another sense in which this statement could be taken. The righteous shall walk by faith. Mm-hmm. Practice the the faith. Yeah. In the objective sense, faith is a pattern of life to follow, and we're going to have a faithful lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So you ask, you know, which is it? Is it the righteous shall survive by their faith, or does it mean that they're going to walk by faith? And I think these passages are often ambiguous on purpose mm-hmm. because they are meant to mean both things. Um, that that's that's the way I look at it. I think they work that way in the New Testament, and they're working that way here. Habakkuk mm-hmm. is saying there is hope for the people who believe in God, and the people who believe in God need to walk by faith. Mm-hmm. I think he says all of that and is able to pack it into just a few words. Oh yeah, and I really like his. You know, there is the idea of kind of surviving. Because the whole point of what's going on here in Habakkuk, Habakkuk is questioning God about, you know, his people being wiped out mm-hmm. and about everybody dying and this sort of thing. And then God says, the righteous will live by faith. And it's just kind of, you know, there is that. Because when we read it, I'm sure the first thing most of us think of, we don't think that we're going to, you know, like die if we're not righteous, like physically, you know, like. Well, I'm sure we're not worried that if we don't, you know, read our Bible or say our prayers that China is going to rise up and overthrow us mm-hmm. or something like that. You know, we're thinking, well, we're going to live by faith. You know, we're going to we're going to live in a faithful way. Um, but we do talk about being saved from our sins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so the danger for us is a very spiritual danger. Mm-hmm. When we start thinking like that, then we get that other side of the interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a very real, like you're saying, for us, our our spiritual situation is likened unto their, I mean, their spiritual situation as well, but also their physical situation. Mm-hmm. Because they were, if they were not righteous, they were going to be, you know, they weren't righteous, so they were about to be overthrown. People were going to be killed. If they had been righteous, would this have happened? Mm-hmm. No. So the righteous will literally live by faith. They will live because of their faith here in Habakkuk. And we know that the righteous will literally live because of our faith spiritually, obviously for eternity with God. Um, so it's a really good, uh, this idea of survive, you will survive by faith, is something that's a part of it. And I think, you know, probably gets overlooked a lot of times or not even, I know I didn't even think of it until I was in that class on that Sunday morning I had never thought of it in the term of survive mm-hmm. I'd always thought well the righteous will live by faith they'll do the things that are according to the faith and that's part of it and I think Paul is making that point you know as well later on in Romans and in Galatians especially in Galatians um, but I think this idea of survival is something that we definitely need to keep in mind so I always thought the other the other side of it was more obvious Really? That's interesting that you say that because I went, until that concept came up to me that there are two interpretations of it, I always thought of it in terms of you know being justified by faith, being saved by faith, mm-hmm. and the whole debate over what that entails. You know, oh, yeah. salvation by faith alone, or does you know baptism is it necessary for salvation? And the things that we talk about in terms of the plan of salvation. That's the mm-hmm. side of the statement that I thought of the most. 
Mm-hmm. And the book of Romans it almost folds open at that those two interpretations because it seems to me like the first 11 chapters of Romans is about surviving by faith. Is the whole yeah. theological doctrine of salvation by faith and how that works and what that. and then you get to chapter 12 and it gets really practical so then you have the righteous shall live by faith but it's like you know what is what does faith look like when it puts shoes on and it walks out the door yeah uh, so I, I think Romans is a great illustration of it and it's probably why Paul was so fond of Habakkuk in this verse this is, you know, I'll say this too. This is probably the one of the most New Testament books of the Old Testament. To me, it, you know, really, it does have a lot of the wisdom literature uh, that you find in Job, you know, where you have a questioning prophet. But then chapter 3 in particular, and, and also the, the main verse that we've been talking about, has a lot to do with, you know, not understanding what's going on, but we're going to trust God anyway and uh, let Him be in control. And, well, that, that's getting more into the third part of the podcast, so I'm going to stop there, and when we come back, we'll get some practical applications. Okay, so the key word for the book was faith. And so obviously when we get to the application, we're talking about applying this to our lives, we're going to be talking about faith. And I think one of the most obvious applications that we have is it's kind of ironic that the book is known for faith. The key word is faith, and that's how Paul is going to remember it, or that's how he's going to use it later on. Um, in Galatians and in Romans, the book's known for faith, but Habakkuk is known as the questioning prophet. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of ironic that this guy who is questioning God is known for his faith. Well, only because we kind of have a twisted view of faith, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we want to talk about for this application, is that this is the point that you made in class. Uh, it's okay to ask God questions, even the hard ones. Because we all have our questions, you know, we all have, you know, there are terrible things that happen to um, to everybody at some point in your life, and it might not happen directly to you or your family, but it's going to happen to a family that's close to yours, or to a friend of yours or something. There will be something go wrong, or, you know, something that maybe you just don't like, or something you're confused about, and all these things, and we're so scared a lot of times to ask God the tough questions. You know, you might ask your, people might go to their preacher, kids go to their youth minister, go to the elders of your church and say, you know, what do I do? You know, what do I need this job, that job? Do I need to, how do I do this in my marriage? What do, You know, all these big questions or what about, uh, is God really this or did, I'm not sure God really exists? All of these things, all these big life-changing questions we're afraid to ask because we don't want to be disrespectful or look like we're doubting or whatever it is. But you've got to look at Habakkuk. His faith is almost amplified because of his questioning. You know, it's not like Habakkuk is just blindly following something without giving any thought or anything, just, you know, whatever you know, just whatever is fine, that he doesn't give it any thought, almost say he doesn't take it seriously. You know, Habakkuk is very concerned about what's going on. He says, you know, how can you stand out of there's this is this is wrong and God I know yeah. that you can't put up with that. He so, says, You you're making me see iniquity, you mm-hmm. idly look at wrong, destruction and violence are before me. He mm-hmm. says the law is paralyzed. We didn't talk about that one. Mm-hmm. And he says justice never goes forth. Yeah. Never, you know, anytime somebody uses that word never, they're they're yeah. really complaining. And you 
you do that and you scratch your head and you think, how did Habakkuk get away with that? Yeah. But he's the prophet, and this is inspiration, so maybe we need to back up a little bit and ask, why don't I ever get that honest with God about my feelings? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the point, is the honesty about your feelings. Because God knows. I mean, in David, if you go read the Psalms, David's prayers, a lot of those yeah. are very similar. Job. Um, yeah. Yeah, Job's the same way. But, Job said some things that you just think, wow, how did he get away with that? Then mm-hmm. you remember this guy lost everything. Yeah. And and God may be taking him there because maybe it's very important for us to get that out and vent that out. And this also reminds me a little bit of, of Nehemiah's prayers. They were not the perfect, pretty prayers of eloquence. Yeah. But he, like, you know, there's one time where he said, you know, basically, God kill these guys. You know, I yeah. What did he say? Oh yeah. Like, you know, it wasn't it, it wasn't exactly like Habakkuk, but he he was um, you know praying for vengeance to come upon his enemies, consume them, and get rid of them, so he could do God's work. Yeah, it's in um, it's in oh, chapter well. four or five. I want to say. I see something in chapter 6. He says, remember Tobiah and Sambalat for what they did. He doesn't say anything about... Yeah, well, I mean, we don't want to go back and retread the tires, but... Yeah, but the point the point is, honesty in our prayer life, I mean, it's if it's not there, then your prayer is not... You know, because you can't fake that everything's okay to God. Habakkuk doesn't try and fake it. Job doesn't try and fake it. David doesn't try and fake it. When they are upset, when they have questions for God, they ask God those questions. And they're not afraid to do so. And it shows a lot of faith because Habakkuk knows that he can question and his his faith is not going to be called into question. Because at the end of the book he says, you know, I don't care if there's the fig tree or not, if there's peace or not, I'm going to follow God. His faith is not something that is that is eligible to be called into question because that's he knows that God is real. You know, he knows God is there, so he's not just going to abandon God. And I think you know that's a huge yeah. part of our faith is you've got to be your faith has got to be strong enough to where you can actually ask Him. The difficult questions where right. you can be let's, honest with him and with yourself. Let's paint two very real scenarios of people in this world. On the one hand, you've got the person who grew up in the church, who's always heard about God, went to Bible class, always been surrounded by godly people, and never asked any questions and never really developed his own faith at all. He's had a very, you know, pretty much complacent life everything's been handed to him this is Mm -hmm. a lot of people are like this yeah and um so you know he's never really exercised his faith and then one day something really bad happens to him and he just uh well not even that i shouldn't have gone there Mm -hmm. nothing bad ever happens to him he lives his whole life just warming a pew coming to church. He's not fired up for God, but he's not anti-God. He's fine with God. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't really live for God. He doesn't serve God. He's not a leader. He doesn't really um, let that be the fuel for his life. He's just there. Now, that's one kind of faith, very common kind of faith. On the other hand, you've got somebody who maybe was dealt an unfair hand early in life. And he believes in God, but he is very upset. He goes through a period of his life where he doubts a lot. He struggles with his faith. He asks God the hard questions. He prays some prayers that he probably would not want in print. He would Mm -hmm. not want other people to hear or see. But he always, he never gave up on God. 
He kept his respect in God. And in the end, he just decided, well, I don't understand this, and I don't think this is fair, but I'm going to trust in God anyway. Which of the two is what God wants? And I would say, not the complacent God that never has any love for God in his heart. Mm -hmm. That... the complacent guy is not really even acting like God is real. Yeah. it's God is just a thing. Mm-hmm. God is just, you know, a cultural part of his life, like turkey on Thanksgiving and football in the fall. Yeah. It's just, you know, one of the things that he does. The uh, With the other guy who's very... Fr- the reason why he's frustrated is because he thinks God is real. Mm-hmm. And when people who are real do things you don't understand, you get frustrated with them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I would encourage people to try that in prayer sometimes. Instead of trying to hide from God your bitter feelings that He already knows, as you said a minute ago. Yeah, just, and I think something that you have said, honesty, honesty, honesty. Yeah. There's no, and that... You know, people complain about hearing guys, and I don't want to get too far off topic here, but people complain about some people that pray, you know, they're like, he always prays the same thing, or this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. da, 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 da. Well, you know, all those kind of stuffy prayers that people complain about are avoided. Yeah, well, we just, don't want to do this in a public prayer church, though, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to get up and all your <laughs> private things, you get up there and go, well, why is this and that? Just, uh, just a... An attitude of honesty is what I'm trying to to get at here. And that keeps your, you know, makes your prayer life always fresh. You know, if you're rehashing stuff, it's not because you just have heard it said before and you want to keep saying it. The stuff that you keep saying over and over is stuff that you really feel and stuff that you really, you know, feel passionately about. And so when you pray, those are the things that come to your mind and you're not just trying to think of all the cool phrases that you've heard. Mm-hmm. you know, in a prayer before. And so I think, you know, there's, you know, the more honest a prayer is, you know, I think the more, it makes it just more real by its very definition. If it's more honest from the person praying, it's it's it becomes a, a realer thing. And that's certainly something that you see from Habakkuk being honest when he prays to God. No. Choose the word realer. Realer. Uh, I was trying not to. <laughs> More real. We all understood what you meant. All right, let's go on to your next. Um, the next thing is is interesting as well um, because Habakkuk's faith, we see, ultimately lies in God. Even though he has different ideas than God and he makes it clear, he thinks God's being unfair, but he doesn't put his faith in himself. He puts it in God and says, well, God thinks it's fair. It must be fair even if I don't. Now, you contrast that to the Babylonians. The Babylonians do not put their faith in anything else but in themselves, particularly in their army. Um, And God talks about their army in, uh, I think it's in chapter 2 or is it in chapter 1? And you've got that line in verse 11 of chapter 1, their might, whose own might is their God. Yeah. Their might is their God. That's trusting in themselves. Mm-hmm. Their might is their God, and that might is, um, you can see it in chapter 1, actually, verses 7 through 11. He talks about how mm-hmm. great their army is. That's where their faith is. And so, obviously, the application for us is, where does our faith really lie? When you have a disagreement with God, and that's going to happen at some point. When you have a disagreement with God, whose idea are you going to follow? You know, who's, Who are you going to decide in the end is really right? Because you think you see this with teenagers or with grown people. It doesn't matter if teen- more so with, gr- with teenagers because generally they're usually more a little more immature than grown people. But there's plenty of grown people that are a lot more immature than teenagers. Whatever it is in their life, you know, if there's something, uh, I mean, it's a current issue that gets talked about all the time, and I even hesitate to bring it up, but I'm going to anyway. With <laughs> oh boy, homosexuality. 
You oh, know, okay. you've got Christians, lots of Christians, mm-hmm. who ha- who think, well, just because a person likes someone of the same gender, they shouldn't be condemned for that. You know, that shouldn't be the wrong. That should be wrong. We should, you know, these people should be able to be um, ministers. They should be able to be married. married. Yeah, yeah. They should be able to be married to whoever it is. And it's the same way with so, so many things. And people think, well, that ought to be able to happen. When plainly, you can read that a lot of those things are wrong. Homosexuality is just one of them. Uh, Just use that as an example. But there are a lot of things where people have a different idea than what you read in Scripture. Mm -hmm. And then they end up deciding that, well, Scripture has got to be, this has got to be some kind of cultural thing that doesn't, you know, it's not, it doesn't last today. You know, this has got to yeah. be something that's really not relevant for us today. Relevant for them, but this can't be right, right now. And mm-hmm. so really what happens there is their faith is not in God. They're, what they think and what God thinks are at odds. They don't understand it. You know, they don't understand why God would make this command or why God would say this, just like Habakkuk didn't understand. But at the end of it, their faith isn't going in God. I mean, they're, they're kind of in a roundabout way. They're trying to say it's going in God, but it's really going in themselves and their opinion. Because their opinion makes the cast the final vote. Yeah, you know, on which way they go in their life. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, and, you know, the question is, what is what is strong enough to save you? And I'm going with that one side of the interpretation of the righteous shall live by faith that thinks of it in terms of surviving or being saved. Mm-hmm. The righteous shall be saved by faith. Um, faith saves only because of the strength of the object of faith, not the mm-hmm. subject of faith. And I heard this illustration from really Tim good. Keller one time about a man. He said, uh, suppose you're falling off a cliff, okay, and you see a branch that's dangling there, and it doesn't look very, you know, hopeful that that mm-hmm. branch would be able to support your weight. Yeah. If you're full of all kinds of doubt about the branch, and you have a strong belief that that branch cannot save you, your faith is going to be really strong, but you're going to die. You're going to fall off that cliff. But if you have a very weak belief in that branch, but it's enough faith for you to reach out and grab it, the branch happens to be strong enough to save you, then you've been saved. But not because of the the level of your faith, but because of the object that saved you. Yeah. And I thought that was a really really great point. point. Because so many times we focus on how strong we are instead of thinking about God. I don't understand this, so it's not going to work out. No, that's not the way you look at it. I don't understand this, but I trust in a powerful God. He's going to work it out. That's Mm -hmm. the way you look at it. And, um, you know, it's not the the subject of the faith that's the point. It's the object of the faith. Yeah, and I think that's, and this is going back to what we just said, that's what makes the questioning okay. You know, because it's not filled with, a doubt in whether or not God exists. It's not filled with doubt of whether or not this is really all worthwhile. It's just the sheer fact that, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, I guess a disagreement is the best way to word it. And it's a really, I really like that illustration because it's not even about, I think a lot in the church, we think about how, how, I guess, a how long or how strong we can hold on to the branch, you mm-hmm. know? Because I'm thinking, because, mm-hmm. you know, people in the church already, you know, a part of the body of Christ, I think we think a lot about, well, how tightly can I, if I, if I hang on to the branch tightly enough, then mm-hmm. I won't fall. But, you know, I think that's a good point about it. it's not about how strong you can you know, how strong you are. It's about the branch itself. It's about the the act of reaching out and grabbing the branch. Yeah. And there is a way to do that. It's described in the New Testament. You know, the, the response of faith is described to us in terms of repentance and confession and baptism. That's, that's how you respond with your faith to the gospel. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's not those actions. They they save you in the sense that they're conditions for salvation. But it's Christ who is saving you. It's mm-hmm. His blood that that paid the price for your sins. Um, so you know, don't don't put your faith in yourself. Put your faith in God. It's the object yep. that matters. And a weak faith in a strong God is is going to get you through. Um, and you know, we grow. We grow through these questions. We grow through our doubts. Mm-hmm. As long as we're committed to believing in the end, as Habakkuk did. And you can see this is a really great book for Christians as well as uh, for the Jewish people at the time Habakkuk was writing it. And let's leave it there. And, and uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear some feedback. we got a great review that was written about us this week. Appreciate that. And uh, now that our iTunes feed is up, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a little review. This will help us Get more attention out there. A five-star review is great, but any review, be honest, if it's a one-star, fine, put it on there. But any review will get us up in the ratings and allow us to be seen by more people. You can uh, also follow us on Twitter. The66Podcast is our Twitter handle. And uh, you can email us at akingsley at arcoc.com or dkaiser.com at arcoc.com. The website is the66.net. 66 is a number in that. And uh, we, again, love to hear from you. Any questions that anybody would like to send in, we'd love to answer that. Uh, We just don't get them right now this early in the podcast. Maybe someday we'll get them and uh, answer them. And uh, we'd love to do that. But uh, most of all, just thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next time with a new study on the 66.